Today on the podcast, I am so honored to bring on the show a woman who has been an incredible inspiration for me since the moment that we met, which was almost two years ago now, when she shared her story of what her life had been like in her youth and how she had transformed a pretty awful childhood full of violence and abuse into an incredible adult life. I just knew that she was somebody I wanted to bring on the show. She is a woman who, for me, is the epitome of both a badass, kick-ass woman who can hold her own in any situation and be really tough as nails if she has to be, but who is also the most sensual, sensuous, soft, sexy, raunchy, incredible embodied woman that I have ever had the good fortune to meet. She has inspired me to include dance into my everyday life by just putting on some music and dancing around my house. And I never would have thought to do that without talking to her and getting her encouragement to reconnect to that because it provides me so much joy. And she's here today to share her extraordinary story and the lessons that she has learned and the ways that she now supports other women in creating wonderful relationships with their bodies, improving their health, and finding more pleasure in their lives. So without any further delay, here is my wonderful friend and incredible inspirational badass woman, Davina McKenzie. Welcome to the Born to be a Badass podcast, the show that tackles the subject of women and violence head on and shines the light of what women need to know and do to be safe. Here's your host, fourth degree black belt and self-protection expert, Cynthia Gillicourt. Welcome to the Born to be a Badass podcast. I'm your host, Cynthia Jolicoeur, and today I am so excited to bring on the show a woman that I met almost two years ago. And from the very first moment, we just really connected and we've stayed in touch. I even had the incredible honor and pleasure of teaching a self-defense class to her wedding party when she got married last year. And I just know you're going to fall in love with her as much as I did. Davina McKenzie is a personal trainer, nutrition coach, S-Factor feminine movement and pole dance instructor. She teaches pre- and postnatal pelvic floor corrective exercise, and she is the creator of the Divinity Method Power Pole Classes and the founder of the Divinity Method, a feminine embodiment coaching program. She supports women in connecting more fully to themselves through embodied movement, nutrition coaching, sensuality, and healthful behavior integration so they can transform their relationship with their bodies improve their health holistically, and have more pleasure in their lives. Welcome to the show, Davina. Thank you. It is an absolute honor to be here. And uh, yeah, that made me think back to our self-defense class in a year ago. can't believe it was that long ago already. Um, and how much fun that was <laughs> to beat the crap out of some bad guy. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, that was a truly extraordinary occasion. I think that was a first for me and for my role player to come in and do a bridal party. That was that was a first, but uh, it was great. And you and your friends was were that fabulous. really a first to do a bridal party? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that might not be so commonplace, <laughs> especially a bridal party of women who had just before that done a sensual dance evening. True. Yeah, the night before it was at uh, the S Factor studio doing just a big dance party. <laughs> Wait, the yeah. contrast. It was. And, and actually, it's very illustrative of the kind of person that you are, too, that you have that incredible, sensual, movement-oriented side to you. And you also have this absolutely terrifying, badass, kick-ass <laughs> side to you, too. <laughs> You know, it's funny is like the last couple of weeks that um, the contrast has been in my mind a lot for some reason. Um, like the contrast of these things that I'm integrating a little bit more, I guess you could say. And I just like that conundrum is so fascinating. And I think a lot of the times we don't really allow ourselves to have so much of that contrast in our lives. Like I am most certainly the kind of girl who can like get down and dirty in a gym and lift some weights, but I also like my makeup on every single day and like to feel pretty. And then, you know, the next moment after I'm lifting weights and in my embodied movement classes, just drenched in my sensuality. And I love the duality of that. And I think that that makes for some exciting, exciting adventures in life and in work. (laughs) Yes, indeed. And I think we're going to dive pretty deep into that when we talk about the divinity method. Oh, boy. (laughs) There are so many things to talk about. I am so excited. (laughs) Well, before we dive into the nitty gritty stuff, I like to start with a few questions to just really get us flowing and sort of juicy, which we already kind of did. But uh, I have just a couple easier questions for you. Are you ready for those? I'm ready. Okay. If you were a color, which one would you be? Fuchsia. That's a very specific pink there. Why fuchsia? Uh, It was the first color that I saw when you said that, and I just trust my my intuition body to lead me to answers like that. And it is a color that is in my life a lot. I don't know, the vibrancy of it that signals so much um, like a rich, deep femininity. Um, Just, I don't know, that color makes me feel alive and bright and joyful, I guess you would say. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can see that. (laughs) So what is the most unusual thing you've ever created? Um... I've ever created. I don't know how to answer that. Like so many amazing things have come from creations, like unusual thing. I don't know. I really don't know how to answer that. (laughs) Well, it's a (laughs) a little bit of a trick question because I know what an incredibly creative woman you are and that you love to create all kinds of things. So I was just curious, you know, if there's any one thing that really stands out thus far in your creative life. 
my life in general. (laughs) (laughs) That's the only way I can think to answer that. Like everything seems unusual until you execute it and do it. I feel like like you never know if it's going to be amazing or commonplace or misunderstood or exactly what people need or exactly what fits you. And I don't know. It's hard. I like to speak to the word unusual. It would just have to maybe be like where I've landed in this journey of personal training and um, the sensuality of the like S factor movement that I do. Like it's, it's a unusual journey to take to get to this place and that creation in and of itself. um, It's a little different, especially coming from the background I came from, I think. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I think we're going to dive into that in a few minutes too. (laughs) What's the biggest change in your life since you got your doggo? Since I got my dog. Oh my gosh. Uh, So we got her, her name is Mango. She's a pit bull and she's, she's not five months old. We've had her for five months. So she's um, about 17 months old now. And I think the biggest thing that has changed is that I have learned so much patience from her. Like, it's set me light years ahead of where I was in terms of patience because obviously communicating with an animal is a completely different skill and it requires me to be so fully present and there for her. And um, in turn, I'm having a little bit more patience for things in my life for myself and my partner, but most certainly patience. And just to let myself love something so much. (laughs) Oh, those are wonderful, wonderful aspects of sharing your life with a pet and with a dog in particular. And I think we don't know what lessons we're going to learn from them until we have them and we start to learn. So that's so Mm. cool. I can't wait to learn more about how your life together unfolds because five months is not a really long time. That's just the very beginning of creating that relationship. So a year from now, it'll be really interesting to know where you are in your dog and person relationship, because I'm sure it will have deepened a lot and you'll have even more observations based on your time together. Yeah, I I completely agree with that. Five months is, I was thinking that, this morning, five months is not a long time. And and it feels like we've had her for so much longer. And still, even this morning, like I waited just a little bit too long. And she peed on the floor and she hasn't done that in a very long time. And I had this moment where I got really upset. And then I was just like, Oh my gosh, this is this is my fault, actually. Like, I can't get upset at this little creature. Like, I waited probably an hour past her threshold too long to be able to go. And that's so my fault. And, like, to be able to, like, look at just that piece of our relationship and 
see that she felt so bad and like to see that like I knew it was my fault and I couldn't express to her that like oh I'm sorry that mommy made you like wait so long and I was like wow this really is like a new relationship and we have so much to learn about each other and she has already taught me so much I can't even imagine what it's going to be like in a year from now and you know then again when we enter into bringing babies into our world and how that integrates with her. It's such a special journey to be on with her. She was meant to, she's my soulmate pup. Yes. Yeah. She was definitely meant to join you. <laughs> hmm Yeah. Okay. What's your favorite self-care practice? Oh my goodness. I have so many. My favorite. Um... I personally require a lot of alone time and I must meet my threshold of alone time. Otherwise, it really is hard for me to show up for other people. And it's also hard for me to tap into my creativity and tap into my power. So carving out the appropriate amount of alone time for me where I'm at in my cycle, in my day, and what I'm doing in my business is probably the most important thing that I do to take care of myself. Mm. Oh, I love that. That's something that I don't quite prioritize high enough a lot of the time. So you're giving me a good reminder that that's a pretty important piece of my self-care that I need to pay attention to as well. Yes, indeed. Everything flows from there. When you're resourced, everything flows from there. Okay, last question before we dive into the meaty stuff. Well, this is kind of a meaty question too, but okay. here we go. What advice would you give to young women today that you wish you had had when you were in your early 20s? Oh, wow. Um well, if I would have actually listened to this in my early 20s, I would say to do everything in your power to develop trust in yourself. Because if you trust yourself, you will make good decisions for yourself. You will make decisions, decisions that are for you. And if you don't trust yourself, if you don't trust your intuition, if you don't trust that you will lead you where you need to go, then you won't lead you where you need to go. And you'll end up learning things the hard way, like I did. And yeah, trust is probably the most important thing to develop at that age. Probably the most important and one of the most difficult so true. And the conundrum in that is that it takes time. <laughs> like I'm going to be 35 next month. And I, you know, feel like in the last maybe five years or so, I've really started to hone in on some of this deeper trust. But that that just, it takes time as any relationship. It That relationship with yourself takes time. And when you're starting out on your own in this new life, once you... um you know, turn 18 or leave the, the nest, like it's, that's kind of when you're 
almost initiating a new part of this journey, a new part of this trusting of yourself. And it's a baby relationship then. Mm-hmm. So this wasn't one of my planned questions, but this just came to me while I was listening to you. And, and that is, can you speak a little bit to the role of forgiveness as it relates to this developing trust in yourself? <laughs> oh my goodness. That is the perfect piece to pick up on from that. I think that has taken me a lot longer to learn than the trust piece, to be quite honest. Um, It is an everyday process, I believe. Like the, the way I feel like I allow the forgiveness to be there for my past self that made these decisions and judgments and um, for that little girl that didn't trust herself is to do that now. And when I do that now, and when I show up for myself now, it allows for forgiveness. And, you know, sometimes I can't, sometimes we're just human and we can't show up for ourselves in the way that we really truly wish that we would. And it just takes so much compassion to look and be like, I know you're trying so hard, baby girl. I know that you are. And if you could do better, you would. Yes. Thank you. That I felt like that was really a necessary piece to, to bring here. So thank you for that. It seems like a good time now to transition to a little bit about your journey. Can you talk a little bit about your health journey and your personal experiences with abuse and violence? That is a really big question. Um, Let me start from the beginning and maybe explain just a little bit of my childhood. Is that a good place to start? I think so. Just kind of go from there. Okay. So, gosh, my parents, you know, looking back now, I know that they, for what resources they had available to them, truly did the best they could. But they had so many issues that they didn't deal with before having kids. And they were what I call dry drunks. Like they had been alcoholics before they had me and they stopped drinking when they had kids because they like, they knew they had a problem, but then didn't do anything about it. And so as the years went on, like, you know, there's just, you can't stop a behavior like that and not address the underlying issue. Like it's going to manifest somehow. And my dad was just, a ticking time bomb. He was this fury of anger. And so from a very young age, like violence was something that was done to us to keep us in order. Like we were hit, we were beat a lot because that was the only way that he knew how to control the situation and to manage his feelings really. And then my mom started to like do that more and more as we got older. And so as a young kid, like the emotional violence and the physical violence was very present. And then as 
I got older, I was like nine and a half and my, my grandma died. And she lived on the same property as us. My parents lived on a house and like kind of up on a hill and they lived just down the hill on the same property. So I was a, like, my grandma was a big part of my life. And for the longest time, I remembered her as this like big shiny angel that was the only presence in my life that was good. And I know now that I really, I needed to see her as that. She died when I was nine and a half. And I needed to remember this person as being a good person in my life. And that's, she, the memory of her is what got me through some really, really tough times because she was at that time. This person who paid attention to me, she taught me how to read. She taught me how to tie my shoes. She was very attentive to me. And she was also an abusive alcoholic. She was also a grandmother who told me to go get the vodka out of the kitchen cabinet for her. Like there were some serious, majorly messed up things that I saw and things that went on when I was a child. But I either didn't know any better or, you know, you just think that that's how everybody's childhood should be and is. Um, Or I just really needed to anchor to her. And that has actually been something that only in the past few years have I been able to like look at and see that, oh, wow, she was pretty messed up. But I, I really needed to see her as an angel in my life. And I'm okay with that. And I can see that and process that now. But so when she died, I, I think I had always been a, a pretty depressed child from like a, a very young age, like kindergarten is when I remember like the first real signs of depression in me. But when she died, I just really took a nosedive. And so did my family. My mom had gotten injured at work and gotten a prescription for Vicodin. And so she started just really abusing that when she died. And then a year later, my dad had a heart attack. And a year later, my grandpa, her husband died. A year later, my uncle, my mom's brother died. A year later, both my great grandparents died. And my uncle raped his wife and daughter and skipped town. And so my family, like in the span of five years, just like took a huge nosedive. And during that time, my brother was also diagnosed with Crohn's. He was about 12 when that happened. So he was two years younger than me. So we're, you know, fast forwarding till I was about the age of 15. And when he was diagnosed, he started to smoke weed because that was the only thing that could um, help his stomach so that he could eat. But then it snowballed into now he's dealing drugs out of our house. Drug deals are going bad. My parents are using it. My parents are getting prescriptions in my name in order to fuel their habit, their drinking. They're introducing me to drinking because 
I'm curious about it. And so I start drinking at like 15 at home with them. And it was just a shit show. Like it was just like violence on drama on emotional abuse. Like my brother and I always grow up like fist fighting each other. Like I wasn't ever afraid of fights. Like I actually kind of turned into a bully and would protect him and fight these guys that were bigger than him and would pick on him because he was younger than me. And like violence was just a part of my life. And I was taught that that was okay to be done to you. And it was okay to do to others in order to get what you need. And it was how I felt safe. Like, like I, I kind of always felt like, well, if anybody messes with me, I feel like I could totally handle myself. But what happened in all of this is like, that doesn't actually give you any self-esteem when you're, you're brought up like this. Like you, you don't learn to trust yourself. You don't learn to trust your intuition. You don't learn that your body is yours. Like, thankfully, sexual violence was not something that was a part of my family. And I didn't have to navigate my way around that. But I definitely did not learn that my body was mine. I became incredibly rebellious because despite all of this, what would seem like um, lenient chaos that was going around, my parents were extremely strict under the guise of religion. And so I became very rebellious at a very young age and became sexually active at a very young age because that was my way of taking back this control of my body that I had never been given. That was my way of saying, I'm going to do what I want with my body and you cannot tell me Otherwise, you may not decide what it is that I do. If you tell me that I'm not going to do something, I'm going to do it. And over the years, that also that impulse to get my body back and to reclaim my power and to just deal with the emotions and the trauma that had been happening, I also developed an eating disorder. And it was most certainly my way, again, of trying to control my body and to just have some sort of way to manage all that was going on in my life. And when I was 16, I was working at Safeway and I realized that my mom was kind of like going off the deep end and would be losing her job. And so I decided to graduate early so that I could just work full time and help take care of them because they were in this very scary place. And so I graduated. I was technically 16 when I graduated and enrolled at the junior college without my parents knowing. I forged the signature for me to enroll there because they actually did not want me to go to college. They thought 
that my job was to just stay at home and take care of them. And so I enrolled at the junior college and I started working full time. And as my mom started to spiral more and more and more, I knew intuitively that I was not going to survive if I stayed there. I, I don't, I don't know how I knew this. I, looking back at the decisions that I made as a 17 year old, I do not understand how, and I'm eternally grateful because somehow, somewhere I did trust myself enough to say, I need to get out of here. I need to make a plan. So I called my friend and I was crying and I was like, I don't know what to do. Something's wrong. Something feels terrible. I feel stuck. Like I, I need help. And she's like, go talk to my mom. And so I drove to her mom's house and she was packing for a trip. And I sat there and I talked to her and she's like, Davina, you know the answer. You need to get out of there. Like you cannot let your parents take you down. You have a life to live. And I was like, okay, can I live here? (laughs) And she's like, yes, you can. You can live here. And so I made this plan. I started saving money and I made this plan to get away. I waited until I turned 18 because I knew that they would try to come after me. And I, um, I even painted my friend's room one weekend. And the next weekend, my parents went to work and I packed up my home, my room, my ex-boyfriend or boyfriend at the time helped me. And I moved everything out and they came home and I came back and I was like, I moved out today. And this is why. And they called the police. They tried to stop me. They tried to take my car from me, but I had paid for it and it was in my name and I was 18. And so there was nothing they could do. And I lived at my parent or my friend's parents' house for six months and worked three jobs and was going to school and just saved everything I had so that I could move out. And six months later, I moved in with my friend, Sam, and a couple of her friends from college in Ronart Park, which is in the North Bay of California. And from there just began my journey of figuring myself out and understanding what it means to be living a life that's mine. And over the years, I, I tried to have a relationship with my parents and would go back there sometimes to talk with them and talk with them on the phone. But not only were they just in their own addiction so deeply, and my mom had lost her job. She was incredibly suicidal. I had taken her to the hospital so many times for suicide attempts. and. She had beaten my dad up with a baseball bat and got felony charges against her. 
and spent some time in jail and lost another job. So like I had made this decision, maybe I think I was, yeah, I was 24. I had made this decision like, okay, this isn't working anymore. I can't get healthy. I can't do the work that I need to do to fix what that life has done while I'm still connected with them in this way. I need a break. So I wrote them a letter and just said, do not contact me. I love you. This is not about you. This is about me and what I need to do to heal. I will contact you when and if I decide I am ready to speak again. And if you don't want to talk to me then, if that is not something you want is to have a relationship with me, then that is your choice. And I understand that. But right now I have to do this for me. And for the most part, they did respect that. Mm, I say for the most part because other family members tried to get a hold of me. Um, But then they actually ended up uh, to a year and a half ago or so. It was right after my wedding. Um, there was a knock at the door one day at my apartment in San Francisco. David was home with me. It was a Sunday afternoon. And I opened the door and I knew. I looked through the people and I like the guy had his hat on and head down. And I knew in a flash instant without seeing anything but a hat that this was my brother. And I opened the door and it was my brother. And my parents were waiting outside in the car. And I was like, what on earth is happening right now? And I, like, it took me a minute. I like had to assess. I was like, am I in danger here? Like, as soon as I opened the door, I was like, am I in danger? Is he going to hurt me? Or is he here? Is, like, what's his intention? Because there's so much violence in my house. Like, the thing that actually made me realize that I needed to walk away from that relationship was going there to see them and feeling like my brother was going to hurt me. Like he was acting weird. I I knew he had a gun and I, I just, the entire time I was there, I didn't feel safe. And I was constantly looking over my shoulder and I left there going, this is it. So when he showed up at my doorstep, I was like, um... This is an insane violation of my boundaries. And I don't know if this person wants to harm me. And, you know, I trust myself now to make a very educated decision quickly. And I quickly assessed that he did not want that. And I talked to them and I introduced them to David. I didn't let them in my house. And we talked outside for like an hour. And I was like, astonished at the fact that 10 years had gone by and they hadn't changed. They had not changed one bit other than the fact that they were very sick and that they were very ill in terms of the way they'd treated themselves over the years. And now they probably couldn't even hurt me if they tried because they're just so frail. Like other than that, they they hadn't changed one bit. And I was so grateful for the younger 17-year-old me who knew I needed to get the fuck out of there. 
knew that I needed to save my life and move. I had to get away from that. And I'm eternally grateful. No matter what mistakes I've made along the way, no matter how many things I may have done that I I see as stupid or irresponsible or not in alignment with the woman that I want to be, I have to look back on that woman who got me out of there and like, baby girl, you did good. You did good. If you made mistakes after that, it's okay. Cause you got out, you survived. That is such a powerful story, Davina. And is hearing you tell the whole tale is it, I'm sitting here thinking so many different things, but one is it is exactly a story of domestic abuse and violence that parallels what older women experience when they get married to an abuser and the path that you took of trying to learn how to navigate inside such a violent and abusive environment because you didn't have an out. And then having that recognition that if I stay here, I'm going to end up dead at some point, you know, it's whether a spiritual death or an actual literal one, that realization coming and the period of time that followed where you actually created a plan and executed your plan and had that patience to wait for the right time to get out. All of that is exactly what women in adult relationships have to go through also. And you did it all as a child and as an adolescent with no support services, nobody giving you counseling and advice and a helping hand until you got the help from your friend and your friend's mother. And thank God for that. But it's an extraordinary example of incredible resourcefulness and resilience and just flat out courage on your part. And thank you for sharing that. You are so welcome. Thank you for being such a supportive uh, light to all women going through something like that, past or present. And I didn't really draw that parallel between that, but that is that exact kind of scenario where you need to plot and plan. And I, I, I have no idea how I knew to do that. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. No idea. Yes. And I mean, you experience the same things of, damn it, these are the people who are supposed to love me and care for me and nurture me. And they're not doing that. And in fact, not only are they not doing that, they're endangering me on a daily basis. That betrayal is a huge one that is incredibly difficult to wrap your mind around. And it's hard enough as an adult. I can't even imagine how difficult that was to even figure out as a youngster. Well, I, to that, will say that therapy is essential for anybody who, I mean, this is my personal opinion, but for anybody who is has gone through something like that, like you need help. Like I couldn't have done that without help. And it's not, it's, it's a layered process that takes so many years. And 
the ways that you heal come come out when you're ready as each layer is ready to be healed, if that makes sense. Like you don't just go to a therapist for a couple of years and be done with it. Like th- this is something that it has taken me like, you know, that was the pro- the story of the, 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 what happened to, to get me to this adulthood. But from there, that story has been one of transformation and of constant, constant cultivated transformation. It's not something that you just go through something like that and then you're fine. Like this is now something that like it's, it's, I don't mean to say this as something, um, negative but it it's who I am like this is my past like and instead of just abandoning and trying to ignore that and looking at that as something that was terrible that was done to me that made me who I am that made me into the woman that I am that has made the decisions for my life thus far that has made the decisions that has led me to the career that I'm into being with the amazing husband that I have in my relationship. So it would be like a major disservice to say that like this part of my life was something to just like get over. It's something I I've integrated as like, okay, that was who I am. And like, let's lean into what I can learn from that and what I can leverage from having having had that experience. Yes. And here's what I find extraordinary about how your path has changed is that for many women who go through an abusive domestic situation like this and basically are living and swimming in this horrible environment that normalizes not having any boundaries be respected and not having any agency over themselves. It becomes like the normal thing. And so even if they can get out of that particular situation, oftentimes they end up seeking out something that ends up being similar because that's what they're used to. That's what the norm is. And that is what in a strange way feels the safest because it's known. And for you, you said that's not that may have been the norm then, but that is not what I want as the norm for my life. I'm sure there's a better way to live. And you have been creating, ever since you left, a completely different sense of what is normal in your life, what is normal in a relationship, what is the way you want your boundaries to be held and respected, and the way you want to be in relationship with people. And that, to me, is like the extraordinary message that you bring is you don't just because you've been part of that and because it was the norm for you that doesn't mean that you have to carry that with you and recreate it over and over and over again you can actually break free of that and design and create a brand new life this episode is brought to you by damsel in defense damsel in defense creates products that allow you to enhance your safety through items that you either carry on your person in one of your bags or purses or something that you can keep in your home or in your car. Damsel also is involved in fighting human trafficking by creating damsel houses 
Currently, there are two, one in Cambodia and one in India, where girls are rescued from sex trafficking and they are given housing and shelter and helped to form a plan to build new lives and no longer have to sell their bodies. So the goal for Damsel is to have a home in every country that their partner organization, which is called Destiny Rescue, is rescuing in. I became a Damsel rep not because I really wanted to sell self-defense products, but because so many of my clients wanted to buy them, and I wanted to give them a good vehicle to buy products that I knew were good quality products that were workable, and B, because I wanted to be able to provide them the training to actually learn how to use those products and be realistic about when they can and cannot be helpful. So I became a Damsel in Defense Pro, and if you are interested in checking out their products, which cover a wide variety of things, everything from stun guns and pepper sprays to coupetons and striking batons, tactical pens, you can access products from Damsel through my website by going to CynthiaJolicoeur.com slash resources. And that's where I have highlighted a few of the products that I really appreciate and think are a good value. So check those out if you're interested. And remember, you don't have to be a damsel in distress. You can protect yourself and can get some help in doing that through Damsel in Defense. I want to dive into how you created that transformation and how you ended up getting into the whole realm of working out and personal training, and then in particular into the realm of sensual dance, because to me, it just seems like when, you know, you talked a lot about your, just your body not really being your own and not being respected and how that was the first place where you started to claim some of your own agency was like, this is my body. I'm going to do with it what I want. And I think the journey from that into the work that you do at S Factor with with women there and then how you created the divinity method is just like mind-blowingly awesome. So I want to hear that story of of how you started to create that transformation in your life and then how you think other women can can learn from that. Oh wow, thank you. Um that's such an incredible compliment and yeah, so those are all of those things are interrelated into the way they are now in my life. Um, so from there, as this 19-year-old, I started doing therapy. And it it got me to at least this place to understand. Like, well, let me back up. Let me just say that that woman was still very... Like, she was... She, really didn't yet have agency over her body and over her life. She was just beginning to get a taste of what it looks like to just be free. And that was an experiment in and of itself. <laughs> so in and the rebellious part of me really took me to that extreme. And so much so that I like I look at that and I'm like, I could have I could have gotten out of that situation and then ended up just like my parents because I was experimenting with drugs and drinking too much and partying too much and smoking too much and like all the too much, mostly because I've had to have I had to have a life where I was taking care of my parents and my brother and I was finally free. And Yet that wasn't real freedom. And I could feel that because 
there was still this like depression that was hanging on to me. Like this still isn't right, Davina. This still isn't quite what you want for your life. And at the time, I actually had become interested in fitness and personal training because my friend's mom introduced me to the gym and she's just like, this is what we do. This is how we process our feelings. We go to the gym. And I was like, that's a, it it turned out to be a great outlet for me. And from the moment she introduced me to like strength training, I was hooked. And it really, truly became my way of transforming my emotions and getting in touch with my body and reclaiming my body again. And as the years went on and I got into careers that were not my own, they were, what other people wanted for me and what other people thought would be successful, even though I wanted to be a personal trainer. I wasn't quite sure enough of myself to follow that dream. And I really let other people's opinions influence me at that time. And finally, I started to understand that the relationship that I was in wasn't working. And I moved to San Francisco and started with a different therapist who is much more qualified to be helping me through this next leg of my journey. And I still like was ending up in relationships that weren't good for me. And I was still in this career that wasn't good for me, even though it was making good money and it was very glossy and it was fun to a degree, um, I still had this feeling of, gosh, that like this still like Davina, you're, you've worked so hard on getting out of that situation. And you're still like, you're not happy. Like keep going, girl, keep digging into that. And by chance and by just the most amazing luck, I found S Factor because my boyfriend at the time, who was a very emotionally abusive man, his ex-girlfriend did S-Factor. And he would say to me, like, you are so beautiful, but you're not confident. Like, you don't act like you know that you're sexy. Like, you, like you're, you're too meek and shy. And, like, I found a pair of uh, his uh, ex-girlfriend's, like, six-inch heels in his closet. And I was like filled with all of this comparisonitis. And I was filled with all of this like frustration that I wasn't sexy enough. And like filled to the brim with just like anger that I didn't know how to engage this way with the world. And I would look at other women and I see that they were just like stunning and gorgeous and could walk into a room with confidence and. I would be dressed to the nines and showing off my curves, have the makeup on, have the heels on. And I still wouldn't feel sexy. I still would feel like I'm not enough. And I can't ever compete with any of these women and therefore the men. Like I just was so frustrated. So I actually went to S Factor for that reason. I was like, teach me to be sexy. I am so sick of not feeling sexy. I didn't say it that way, but that's what was going on in my head. 
And S factor is, it's one of those things that like, until you do it, like it's really hard to describe what's so special about it because yes, it's pole dancing. But if it was just pole dancing, I would have left because at the time I wouldn't have considered myself athletically inclined. I wasn't a personal trainer then. And I didn't pick up on the pole very quickly. That wasn't the thing that I was really good at. And it scared the living daylights out of me. But as soon as I sat down in this room, this mirrorless red lit room, and we started to move, I started to cry. And I, I just, I knew intuitively, I couldn't put my finger on what, but I knew I need to be here. This is different. This is what you need, Davina. And so my journey with S Factor began. I eventually, a few months later, broke up with that guy, continued to do S Factor, even though that journey of S Factor for me personally was something that brought up a lot of shame and a lot of embarrassment. Like I I would go home after every single class feeling like, oh my God, I just embarrassed myself. And like, I, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I said that because I just didn't trust myself. I didn't trust my body. I wasn't comfortable in my skin. And what was happening was this, class was teaching me how to connect to my body authentically. It was teaching me how to connect to my sensuality, my sexuality. And most importantly, it was teaching me that I don't have to do anything or be anything to be sexy. That just me as I am showing up with all of my emotion, all of my anger, all of my sadness, all of my grief, all of the joy Every single bit of it was sexy as hell. And that was what kept me going to S Factor. That was what kept me there. And as I started to reclaim my body, I started to reclaim back other parts of my life. So from that point, I went on this this one year fast, I'll call it, from dating and sex. I was like, okay, this is not working for me. I had just broke up with that guy that treated me very poorly. And I knew that it wasn't about him. It was about me. He treated me poorly because I let him. And I needed to shift my boundaries in order to bring in a relationship that was going to be fulfilling for me. And so at that time, I pretty much stopped seeing all friends because these weren't relationships that I would consider to be nourishing. I stopped drinking. I hadn't really been drinking much over the last couple of years, but I stopped drinking completely. I got into a Al-Anon program. So I was going to Al-Anon meetings at least twice a week and submersing myself into S-Factor classes at least twice a week. And I was going to therapy. And I was dabbling with um, 
Overeaters Anonymous, though that didn't ever resonate with me. But I did also at that time hire a nutritionist because life and food was confusing and I needed someone to help me sort that out. So this year became just a year for me to work on myself and do nothing but everything that I wanted to do and create a new way of going about my relationships. And that is actually the same year that I changed my name. My name used to be Davina Noel Poole. And I changed it to Davina Alexandra McKenzie. And it was this declaration of this new me, this cocoon that I had emerged from, this massive transformation that I had undergone. And it was massive. I dealt with so much in that year. And I came out of that feeling extremely confident that I had a good foundation to now start integrating friendships and relationships that would be healthy for me. And so Mackenzie means born of fire. And Alexandra is actually protector, protector of mankind. But the Alexandra spells out my grandmother's name. So her name is Elena. And so I spelled Alexandra with two N's. So her name is spelled out in there because I wanted to capture that piece of my past in with the future me. And what's interesting is that I changed my name and then I met who is now my husband. Two months later, after it was finalized, <laughs> and I, when he, we were talking to getting married, I was like, I don't think I'm going to change my name. And he's like, that's okay. <laughs> I think you should just leave it the way it is. I was like, good, because I like it. <laughs> it's me. It symbolizes me. And I don't ever want to change that. So that is that evolution just into like the foundation of who I was. And from there, wow. So I met David. It was maybe like eight months after that year. And I had decided to start dating again. And then I met him. I completely blew him off because... I found out that he was five years younger than me. We met at the gym and he was just so sweet. And he told me that he was 23. And at the time I was 28. And I was like, yeah, you just want one thing. I don't think so. (laughs) But he kept, right? Like what 23 year old is ready for like a solid relationship. And I was like, ready, let's go. (laughs) But he just very gently kept pursuing me in this very um, authentic way. And like, I never had to guess with him where I stood. Like, he wasn't one of those guys who played games. Like, I always, he always called when he said he would. He always showed up when he said he would. He was always there when I needed him to be. And he just, yeah, obviously became somebody who I could really 
um, admire and trust. And that has been a beautiful relationship that is full of adventure, I must say. (laughs) Well, just to hear so many different layers of work in a way, but also self-discovery. And I think one of the things that really strikes me is just your patience and willingness to allow yourself to explore and to have different things unfold and to not rush and feel like, well, I should be at this point now, or I should be over this already, or you know, there's no shoulds in your story at all. It's, it's just openness to what's the thing that I need now and what's something that might help. And I'm not sure exactly where it's going to go, but this feels intuitively like the right direction or the right choice because that evolution, you would never have been able to chart out, you know, and, and maybe this is just my own personal bias against the idea of having to have a plan and a schedule before you undertake something. (laughs) But it, again, it just sounds like this organic process of digging and discovering and exploring and then finding out what happens and seeing if it resonates and seeing if it's the right thing. And to link that back to what you said initially in your advice to young women about developing that sense of trust with yourself you know, to me, it's like, yes, this is what she was talking about. This is a great example of what can happen when you do actually trust yourself, even if it doesn't make logical sense. But having that that intuitive trust can actually allow for life to unfold in a wonderful, wonderful way. It's so true. And I mean, in hindsight, looking at it, yeah, I'm sure it looks like there wasn't the shoulds, but at the time there most certainly were. And I think that it's, it's less and less as I get older. Um, certainly where I'm at now, there's less and less of that, but in it at the time I was not patient. (laughs) I was not kind to myself. I was not gentle with myself. That is the piece that I have to have some super gentle forgiveness for because that inner voice, I mean, we all have this like inner critic that can get out of control. And like, I was just actually this past couple of weeks dealing with a bit of the inner critic getting really, really loud when I was triggered in this particular scenario. And it like now that can go on for a day and I'll be like, Oh my, we need to just take a step back. Whereas before that would go on for like months today I can catch it. And you know, maybe it like waxes and wanes for like a week or so. And then it finally like settles down. But at the time, I don't think that I had that. It is definitely something that has evolved and I'm still really learning to anchor to. But one thing that has been really, really like that you touched on that I will very much say yes to is 
that inner knowing, uh, that inner trust of like, even when the voices are loud and even when it doesn't make sense. And even when there is so much to feel anxiety or stress about, like even in those moments, there is a deep, deep inner trust, a deep knowing that I just, I am here because I am supposed to be here right now. There is a lesson I need to open up to. And whatever it is that is feeling challenging right now, it's because I'm ready to face this challenge. I'm ready to let this be healed. And I do have such deep faith in that. Well, can we tie what this experience has been in your life into where you have taken it professionally in your coaching and in creating the divinity method? Because I'd love to hear how that came about and also how what you do with your divinity method can help other women who have experienced trauma or violence. Yes. So, um, sorry, you've asked me that question like three times and I've gone off on so many tangents. (laughs) Well, Hey, this is, this is the born to be a badass podcast. We can go on tangents because that's this where the true. gold is. <laughs> so we're right on track. <laughs> well, it's, you know, that perfect evolution. So right after I met David, like that actually helped me anchor into, um, I think this like found another layer of foundation that I was needing to see that I could have this successful relationship And I trusted him so much that, like, let me just say that, like, first, I am so fiercely independent. And it has been something like you, I had to be, I had to be. So learning to accept others, kindness and love and help has been a journey. And he has really taught me how to lean into that because he's so patient and so gentle. And so transitioning into this career was something that I was able to do because I was able to like look at him and be like, I'm going to need support when I do this. This is huge. This is scary. I'm going to be working my ass off. I'm not going to be attentive to our relationship as much. I'm not going to be making as much money when I first start out, but I got to do this. And it was only because I had built that foundation of trust in myself and let this human being, this beautiful human show up for me and hold me in this way and to be supportive and to let like myself lean into that support. So I started teacher training at S-Factor. And while I was going through teacher training, I was like, okay, I'm done. This career isn't working for me and I'm done. I'm just done. I can't do another day. I'm, I'm done. And I left my job not having a plan. I, the same day of my last day of my two weeks, got a job. And I started personal training at Crunch while I got my certification there. And so I did the training with S-Factor simultaneously. It was so much work to be learning how to do two things at once and showing up in such a big way for both. And then 
a year after that, I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. I think because I was so in my masculine. And by that, I mean the go-go energy, that do energy, that fierce creating, always creating, not healthy masculine energy. And I think that that was my body's warning sign of, girl, you are on the right track. You are doing the right thing, but you're not doing it the right way. You have got to take care of yourself. And that shifted me into this massive flip of what I understood to be healthy. From food to the self-care of the thoughts that we have. And from there, it has been a journey of, again, letting David show up for me in an even bigger way through that process, but also in showing up for myself and making some very clear boundaries in my life. Because if I don't make these boundaries, then I can't show up at all. And that is what I think has been my driving force because I, I have, I know what it's like to come from a life that you don't want to be in. I know what it's like to transform your life into something that's amazing. And it still isn't hitting the mark for you. And I know what it's like to take that life and to shift it into something that's even better than you could have ever imagined with some very strong, healthy boundaries, some very healthy self-care practices, and a deep, deep practice that constantly nurtures the trust and the intuition and the spirituality and all of these layers that we are as a woman, because we can't just go work out and eat the right things and be healthy. Like we need to nurture this mental, emotional, physical side that is everything to do with our purpose and the way that we're showing up in the world to the boundaries that we're setting in ourselves and with the people that we love to the food that we're putting in our body to the sleep that we're getting. All of those things have to be taken into consideration if we want to show up as this full, wholehearted woman that can take on the world in a real way, not in a way that's going to get depleted, not in a way that's going to hit burnout, but in a way that's sustainable. Because a lot of what we're doing, a lot of what I was doing, a lot of what I see the women around me doing, it is not sustainable. It is absolutely not sustainable. We have to fill ourselves up first. And that is what the divinity method is based on. It's based on filling yourself up with all of these different parts of us so that nothing gets left behind and we can be the woman that we want to be in this life. Not the woman that we kind of sort of want to be. Not the woman that is just okay, but the woman that is extraordinary, that is in our head, has been in our head since we are a little girl and that we know we have it in us to be. Wow. I want that. I think what you're saying is highlighting for me a gap in my own daily practice and my own habits. And, you know, it's, it's something that I've been trying to figure out too is I'm 57. How can I improve my health? How can I become more myself? How can I continue the shift that started for me a few years ago in my own life? And I think what you're talking about, those things 
are the things that I haven't yet figured out how to integrate and I haven't really focused on. So I can't be alone in that. What are the most common challenges for the women who come to work with you? What are the things that they're struggling with and facing? That is a wonderful question. And thank you for sharing that that is also where you want to be and where you see a gap. I, I, I really think that what it boils down to is boundaries because you can't, you cannot fill that container if you don't build that container. And if you are constantly allowing other things to be the priority, you're never going to be the priority. And, you know, it, it doesn't need to look the way my self-care looks. It doesn't need to way, look the way her self-care looks. Like somebody who is a mom with young children, the amount of time she can carve out for herself is going to be so different than what yours is. But it all comes down to setting the appropriate boundaries in her life so that she can take that space and take that time to give herself what she needs. And time seems to be something that comes up a lot, but I don't actually think that that's the problem. We can use that as a scapegoat, but I really truly think that it's it's about the boundaries. Can you give an example of what some of those boundaries are? Gosh, it can be so... Well, actually, I may ask you that question. Like, what is it in your life that you feel like you say yes to when you actually feel like it should be a no or not now or after I do this? <laughs> Gosh, darn it. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a tricky question to answer because it's different now than you know, even three years ago, I think three years ago, there were a lot of things that I very grudgingly said yes to because I was afraid if I said no, that things were going to fall apart. You know, that my children were going to really go over the edge and not survive. And that my mom was just going to up and die on me because of her health issues. And, you know, there were a lot of things where it was like, if I don't say yes to them, they're not going to get taken care of. And the consequences could be catastrophic. And that's not where I am today. You know, today, I don't think that I say yes to things in the same way. And damn you for taking away time as an excuse. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, because I think, um, I think what gets in my way right now is that there are so many things that feel like they are equally important priorities. And I do try to prioritize what is self-care for me so far, what I figured out. And I struggle every day with like not feeling guilty and, and selfish for for putting these things in front of other important priorities, like working on my business, for example. I choose to start my day by going out and taking care of my horses and by spending half an hour playing with my dogs. That's really important time for me, and it's very relaxing and calming. 
I prioritize getting enough sleep, which for three decades I didn't do. And yet the cost of that is fewer hours during the day to actually sit down and you know, create marketing content for social media and write blog posts and edit podcast episodes. So I do feel like I'm saying yes to those things that are very important. And the two that fall by the wayside day in and day out, and I am starting to shift them now, but the two that are the most challenging are keeping my nutrition in a zone that is healthy for me and also not a source of stress. And the other one is my movement because my whole relationship to exercise and movement has shifted from being a full-time CrossFitter and doing martial arts multiple times a week and riding a horse to, well, I don't even know what that is right now. Right now it's mostly walking around outside with my dogs, which is not the same kind of weightlifting, high intensity, high level of activity that I used to have. So does that give you a sense of kind of where my boundary issues are? Yes. Um, and I think the thing that came to mind with that was it sounds like there is a, the, like the part of you that, or the old you that used to take care of you in a certain way is for lack of a better word here, kind of judging the way that you're taking care of yourself. And so I kind of wonder what would happen if we first took a look at that. Like, what if we asked like, okay, what's, what's here in the judgment? Like, what is it that I'm expecting myself to live up to? That is the old version of me that is no longer something that is true, but I'm, putting a heaping dose of guilt and shame on myself for not showing up in this way. If you can let go of that first, or at least acknowledge how much of a role that is playing in what you're doing, how would that shift what you actually wanted to do? Mm -hmm. So that's a self boundary, really? Yes. So like, what else comes up in terms of boundaries? You know, because obviously there's the boundaries with people that are dependent on you. For example, obligations that you have. There's business-related activities where you have to figure out exactly how much of your day and how much of your time and energy are you going to let those consume. Are those the kinds of boundaries that you work with? Right. So, like, in your circumstance right now, it really doesn't sound like, at least from what you said, that there's a bunch of um, people that are needing your time and energy, like your kids and your husband don't, from what you said, don't seem like they're taking up so much of that space. So now it's, once you go through that, that boundary layer of understanding, okay, what would my workout and my nutrition, because those are the two areas that you highlighted as being a part of the piece that you don't feel is is quite um, voluptuous enough in your life. It, if I choose what it is that I need now based on letting go of the old version of what I thought I needed, now what boundaries do I need to put in place in order to make sure that I can show up for myself in the way that I want? And 
to be flexible enough with that to not let the perfectionism get in the way of that. So like you said, you wanted to have a little bit more flexibility in the way that you eat. So allowing for that flexibility to ebb and flow in a way that's comfortable for you, but still maintaining that boundary of, okay, well, if I did this this way yesterday, then I show up for myself this way today. And like that's still a self-boundary, I think, for both of these because it doesn't sound like there's another another party that's strongly influencing that. No, no, not anymore. You know, those days of having my choices be more defined by everybody that was dependent on me or that I had to interact with, those are pretty much gone. And it's very freeing in a way, and yet it's also a little bit um, of a puzzle. Like when when that has been the predominant mode, how to actually create different rhythms of life and different patterns and different habits when they're, it's really very different from before. Yeah. You've had a lot of change. (laughs) Yeah. So how, you know, I don't think I'm that unusual in terms of, you know, women who have full lives and lots of different plates up in the air and some things that they would like to shift or build on. How do you take a woman who comes into you with those kinds of issues and help with those boundaries and help her come up with a path forward? And how does that play with your personal training and uh, with what you've created with the Divinity Method? I'm so fascinated by the whole Divinity Method. And I don't think that actually we really just defined what it is. So maybe you could kind of pounce on both of those. Sure. So... The divinity method is based on seven pillars. One is your spirituality, sleep, exercise, nutrition, your boundaries and um, relationships, uh, your purpose or like the masculine side of things, and then your sensuality and femininity which is like the obviously the feminine side of things. So based on those seven pillars, how do we create a life that feels full and lush and also flexible and not restrictive because it can be really easy to swing into the perfectionist side of things of I'm going to do this five days a week and da, 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 and then we burn out. So how do we create this life that can ebb and flow and we can allow ourselves to make changes on the daily that keep us headed towards our goals. So when I'm working with somebody, it depends if I'm working in with them in person or whether I'm working with them online. Um, in person is a little bit different just because we get to do the personal training piece of it. And not only is that part powerful because you get to tap into understanding your body and using your body in a way that is really empowering and invigorating. But as we're doing this process, we're also working through different areas of your life that may have blocks and may have areas of growth. And so the movement combined with the cognitive pieces that you're learning 
really helps to solidify what's happening like in a um, tactile way. Like you start to integrate that as you change. It's kind of like um, that feedback loop that we get. It's not kind of like it is that feedback loop where you change your body posture. So like say you sit up a little bit taller, that changes the way your brain perceives the way that emotions and feelings are happening in your body, which changes the way that your thoughts come, which changes the way that you perceive your reality. So when you change your body, you change your life. But when you change your body, while you're changing all these other aspects of you, it just creates so much beautiful fusion. And so while I have this personal training understanding, which is very linear, I also have this sensual training through S-Factor and other modalities that I've learned over the years. That kind of combines the two of them in just a, it's just an intuitive, for me, it's intuitive because I use it based on you know, the person that's standing in front of me and the information that their soul is giving to me. So each training can look totally different. Like one person might come in and what we might be like thrown down on the kettlebells because that's what their body needs. That's what their heart needs. That's what like, all of their their um, intentions need to manifest that. Whereas the other person, for a couple sessions, we might be doing some mobility stuff, some hip circling, some deep breathing, some public floor work, some things that really help them tap into a different side of themselves. But that's what that person needs. And maybe one day it's completely different from the next. But... It just really depends on the person and what they're walking in with. But it's all based on the goals that they have and what it is that they're wanting to achieve. So if they're online with me, it is more of a conversation. We still have a lot of movement in there, but it is more conversational. And in that, in a way, there's a little bit more that we can um, piece through and untangle just because our sole intention is to sit here and have a conversation with each other versus while we're training, we're in a gym and there's other people. So it just becomes a little, uh, a little different. And I think that, you know, each person who comes in each way probably is getting exactly what they're needing, be it in person or online. But like for you, for instance, what we would do is sit down and I have questions and um, like a full in-depth analysis of where you are in each of these seven uh, pillars. And then we're looking at where you want to be in all of these areas. And the work that we're doing together in the time that we have allotted for each other is trying to fill that gap from where you are to where you want to be. So I can... I can see how the process that you're describing is so personal and so flexible that you can meet each person where they happen to be. And to me, I think that answers my question, which was how can women who have experienced trauma or violence benefit from doing this? And I think you just answered that in that description of how you work with people because some women may come in sort of in the state that I was actually 
around the time that I got divorced, which was very alienated from my body and feeling very ugly and unattractive and definitely not sensual at all. And really wanting to recapture that sense of actually being a sensual, sensuous human being. You know, some women may come in in that exact state and their path with you would probably open that back up for them and give them ways to reconnect with their bodies that way. And yet another woman may come in with none of those issues whatsoever and be just like, I want to get strong. I want to, I want to build muscle. I want to build endurance. I want to be able to walk on the street with confidence and those same pillars that you talked about and that same process that you talked about can meet her there and help build that. Am I getting that right? Like, is that how the method actually adapts to what each woman brings in for you? Because you have such an interesting blend of the sensual and then the physical training and then the emotional, spiritual aspects. You hit it right on the head. That is exactly how it helps each different woman who comes into me. And I do have women right now that I'm working with who are going through a divorce. I have women who are postpartum. I have women who have major injuries. I have women who are just ready and strong and want to go hard. And I have women who are a little insecure and don't quite trust themselves yet, don't trust their bodies and um, just show up like really ready to learn and like the full spectrum of women. And oh gosh, I love that. I love that every woman that sits in front of me is a completely different experience. And there, like, there is no cookie cutter. Like there, there is that template of the seven basic principles, but that is the only thing that's constant between all these women. Everything else is completely up to the person that's in front of me. Oh, that's great. So there was something when I was looking at your material about the divinity method and I was looking at your Facebook and, and kind of stalking you and gathering more info because it's been such a long time since we actually got to talk. And there was a a phrase that you had on there that really leads me into my last question. You had a phrase there characterizing what you do as superhero training for everyday women. And my sort of wrap up question for you is how do you think that women can develop their own personal power and courage? I think that showing up for yourself every single day, like choosing one thing that you can do every single day that you can say, I showed up for myself today. That is how you develop that courage and that trust. And, and some days to in order to do that one thing, you absolutely must move mountains in order to make it happen. And some days it's easy. So I think that really, truly, that's how you create that inner superhero showing up for yourself. Oh, I love that. And it really does connect with the kind of training that you do. Because the other thing that struck me when you were describing how you work with people was again, that it's not prescriptive. It's not, okay, well, this is the plan and we have to follow it step by step by step in a very linear process and every day builds on each other because it's the same sort of thing, which is what the old traditional training model used to be. 
And I love that it can be something where you do a completely different thing on day two than you did on day one. And that is absolutely perfectly fucking fine. And I think what you're saying about developing personal power and courage is like you do that one thing, but it doesn't have to be the exact same one thing every day. It's do, do one thing. That is so true. That is absolutely true. It doesn't have to be the same thing. And I, I, I do feel like, you know, that old model of training. I'm so glad that um, it is changing a little bit because prescriptive advice doesn't work for everybody. Like it just doesn't. And I've, I've known like from the moment I started training that I train a little bit differently than the other trainers that I usually see around me. And it used to make me feel really insecure. Like I wasn't good at what I was doing because I wasn't doing it like everybody else. But now I love the fact that I don't do it like everybody else because I see women change. I see them get results and I see them blossom into these like courageous, abundant like goddesses. And it's absolutely beautiful. I am so lucky that this is where I am in my life that I get to show up every single day and help women. Like when I'm having a tough day, the people that are sitting in front of me, they, I don't think that they could possibly understand how much it fills me up to serve them. Oh my gosh. I want to take that entire statement and just say me too. Yes. 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 (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's a beautiful way of encapsulating exactly what goes on with me too, which is, you know, I I teach something where there are a lot of other people who teach self-defense and I do something that is completely different in a very different way than anybody else does. And definitely had moments when I was starting out where I felt insecure about that, you know, and oh no, who am I to do this differently? And yet, like you, realizing that there's so much value in what I do and how I do it and the fact that it is very different and the transformations that come from women who who go through my programs. Um, in fact that's that's why that's where Born to be a badass came from was from women going through a workshop or a longer program and coming out the other end and going, Oh my gosh, I feel like such a badass now. You know, that transformation is so cool. <laughs> and on the on the tricky days, the the ones are, that are a little harder to get going or, you know, where I feel kind of stuck to talk to one of them or see one of them or even just remember one of the women that I've had the opportunity to work with that just like with you, you know, that's the thing. It's like, I'm so lucky, so lucky to be able to do this and to be able to make a difference in women's lives and really help them build their own power and courage, which is exactly what you do with your divinity method. Yes, I love that. I love that you do things differently too. And I know women walk out feeling like a badass when they're around you because I've been one of those women. (laughs) (laughs) But it is so true. (laughs) Hmm. I'm so glad that there are so many women rising up right now and taking charge and doing courageous work like this. Thank you for being one of those women. Oh, and right back at you, man. Right back at you. 
Oh. Well, Davina, it, this has been an absolutely wonderful conversation and a pretty deep exploration of, well, a lot. The emotional realm, the the area of going through some pretty horrific experiences and coming up with a plan and getting out and tr- having a transformation and being a human being who goes forward and back and makes mistakes and makes corrections and eventually you know, reaches the point where daily life and chosen work are the things that bring so much joy and fulfillment. And it's been a wonderful conversation and thank you from the bottom of my heart for coming on the show today and being so open and, and just sharing your story and your insights and your gifts. Oh, I feel those heartfelt words. I truly feel them. Um, Thank you so much for that. Very, for those very kind words. And it has been so much fun. Like, I I feel like we could sit here and talk forever. And it's so, from the moment I met you, it's been so easy to talk to you. And um, it's been an honor to be here. So thank you for inviting me. Oh, thank you so much for being here. This is the Born to Be a Badass podcast. Stay safe and be a badass. You've been listening to the Born to Be a Badass podcast. Be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss a single episode and be sure to share it with your friends. And while you're at it, please leave a rating and a review. Tune in regularly for more exciting insights and wisdom on women, violence, and safety. And until next time, embrace your inner badass.